Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Is WCW Bash of the Beast 1996 one of the biggest and most important wrestling pay-per-views ever? The answer is yes. I mean, they were in the midst of an in-story takeover, courtesy of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, and World Championship Wrestling were doing all they could to make you think, uh, they've come from the WWF, and we're going to need some help. Furthermore, Nash and Hall kept going on about there being a third guy, and the wrestling world was like, well, who the hell is that going to be? And as it turned out, after 15 years of being a babyface, during the main event, out walked Hulk Hogan, and he took his red and yellow clothes, and he flushed them down the loo, to become one of the best bad guys we had ever seen. I mean, it was likely one of the best things he could have done. In 96, Hogan's whole eat your vitamins and say your prayers shtick had become a little bit passe, <laughs> as Vince McMahon would have said. And if you can believe it, sometimes he'd be making his entrance and the crowd would boo. Now that sounds par for the course in 2002. We just boo whoever the hell we want. But if you had done that back in the mid 90s, you would have been attacked by someone that was considered an insult. But crowds were changing more and more as, dare I say it, a new attitude came into pro wrestling. So if Hogan wasn't going to change, the industry was going to leave him behind. But don't pretend that the Hulkster jumped on this, like it was the Hulk Hogan train. He was like, oh man, I can't wait to go. Eric Bischoff had to go and see him and say, Hulk, how would you like to be the third man? He said, no. He then went to see him again and said, dude, how about now? So he chucked him out of his house. He sent a carrier pigeon and the carrier pigeon was sent back dead. I made that last one up but I bet it would have happened. Hulk Hogan didn't want to do it. I mean, the bottom line was he was so adverse about turning his back on what had made him so popular, he was a bit worried that it would sink his career. And the answer to that one was nope. And the rumor too is that he only agreed 11 days before the event, and thank goodness that he did, because his contract was coming due in a couple of months, and while he still did make a difference for WCW, it wasn't to the same amount that it had been beforehand, so officials were like, well, you know, we don't really know what to do with him, Maybe we can cut him loose and spend all this money elsewhere. So Hulk had to do something, and boy, howdy did he. But even then, management was terrified that he wasn't going to go through with it. So they had a plan B, and the plan B was Sting. Hogan made much more sense because it tied into the World Wrestling Federation hostile takeover. But I think Sting would have still have shocked fans. He was like an all-time babyface. But ultimately, you had to have this trifecta of guys that were going to infect the organization and take it down. Given how stupid wrestling is, when Hogan did walk down the aisle at Bash of the Beast, 
Then they were cheering him, because you just can't count for what the wrestling universe is going to do ever. And I bet that probably made him go, oh man, what am I going to do? But as soon as he did drop that leg on Randy Savage, the reaction is all time. I mean, people are throwing garbage. Apparently they were taking off that Hogan merchandise and chucking it in the bin, which is way too much. And some dudes were actually crying. How are they going to take their vitamins now? And let's not pretend this wasn't a risk either. I mean, a 1990s audience could have gone either way. And while he was kind of offering diminishing returns, he was still Hulk Hogan. When he wasn't a show, numbers still went up and he had a massive brand he had to think about. At one point, he had Hulk Hogan pasta, and I'm pretty sure the tagline was, what are you going to do when pasta runs wild on you? I was like, what do you mean, what am I going to do? What's a pasta going to do, jump at me? I'm pretty sure it's just going to hit my chest and fall on the floor, and if it comes near my face, I'll just eat it. What a stupid saying. But make no mistake about it, around this time, WCW was properly grabbing steam. Hall and Nash had grabbed the audience's attention, and not only did they sell out Battle of the Beats 1996, but they have to turn 2,000 people away, you gotta go home. On the other side, the Ultimate Warrior continued to no-show events, so he'd been being fined and was about to be kicked out of the company. Bret Hart wasn't under contract, so the WCW rumor started, and a young Olympic weightlifter, powerlifter, strongman known as Mark Henry received sponsorship from World Wrestling Federation. I wonder whatever happened to him. Two weeks prior to Bash at the Beach as well, Stone Cold Steve Austin had won the King of the Ring 1996. Once again, I ask the question, I wonder if he did okay. I'm going to stop it. I'm being an idiot. That's your setup, though. It comes from Daytona Beach down in Florida. Let's up those downs for Bash at the Beach 1996. What was the deal with the opening videos to WCW pay-per-views in this era? We've already talked about it once on Halloween Havoc 98. But honestly, you get this really cheesy music, which sounds like it's from the 80s. It sounds like soft porn music. It really, really, really does. And the editing is like I'd just given it to my mum, given her one hour of tuition, and she had come up with this. Now, that's actually doing a massive disservice to my mother. If she was able to come up with that, I'd be like, oh, man, I think you're better at this than I am. But still, it doesn't get you excited at all. It's just so weird. Down. What does get you excited, though, is the opening match. And what a window into the future this was. Up. The opening with Dusty Rhodes, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Brain and hits you in the head like a dart because it's filled with so much nostalgia. But yeah, out comes Rey Mysterio Jr., out comes Psychosis, and they were about to give us all a lesson in what wrestling was going to be 20 years later. Also, as Rey Mysterio has come up, I think he has featured on every single retro ups and downs so far, which is a testament to him, and you never see him have a bad match. This is when you realise who are legends and who aren't, Rey Mysterio could be, unarguably, one of the best in-ring performers ever. And he changed the world. Rey Mysterio is incredible. And it's hard to get this now because we've seen so much. But seeing these two do Arabian moonsaults and sentons to the outside and just chucking each other into the guardrail, well, it's all par for the course. But it wasn't back in 1996. And if you look at the audience as they're witnessing it, it's like, what the hell is going on? It's like a car has just come in and smashed into everybody. No one can believe it. The finish is just awesome too. Psychosis goes for a splash mat and off the top rope. And in midair, Ray reverses it into a Frankensteiner. And I could probably watch that every single day until I die. And I'd feel all warm and fuzzy in my tum-tum. Just two incredibly athletes going out there rewriting the playbook. If you haven't seen this, you should go and see it. Conan is then backstage doing a promo and getting ready for his match with Ric Flair. When he says, and this is his words, not mine. If any of Ric Flair's women's, he had two at the time, get in the ring... He's going to clothesline them. Yep, okay, there you go. Also, somehow Conan looks exactly the same then as he does now, mostly because he always looked a little bit old. 
That's just a joke. No one tell him he'll kill me. To ground you back in the time period, however, the next match is John Tenter, aka Earthquake in WWF, taking on Big Bubba Johnson, aka the Big Boss Man in WWF. <laughs> and who says that WCW just stole all their talent? It's <laughs> getting it down. It's also a Carson City silver dollar match, which is basically just a bunch of coins on a pole. So straight away I was like, well, somewhere Vince Russo is smiling. I mean, this stipulation makes absolutely no sense. The commentators don't even try to explain why this is going on. Why would you try and climb up the turnbuckle and then climb up this massive pole, which is way too big, by the way, we'll get into it in a second, to get a chunk of change? Just go to the laundress. It also could be the slowest thing I've ever seen. I've seen turtles and tortoises move faster than this. In fact, at one point, I had to double check it wasn't on like 0.5 speed. They just chug around and they punch each other. And then they punch and they slam each other. It's like, why aren't you doing it? Who booked this match? Big Bubba does tie Tenter up to the ropes at one point and just starts whipping him with his belt. But yeah, what I couldn't get my head around is when either guy tried to get the cash change thing at the top of the pole. It was so long, they weren't able to get to it. So what happened is, they climbed up the turnbuckle, looked at it and went, well, I'm not going to be able to reach that. So they just went back down to the canvas. At one point, Tenter was so annoyed by this, he just tried to rip down the pole. It is one of the most ludicrous things you will ever see. Then for some reason, Bubba was going to cut more of John Tenter's hair off, and Mother Nature was taking care of that anyway. And at that point, he just got punched in the balls. And I knew this day would come. I knew it would come because wrestling and testicles are like the best relationship ever. Bring it down. It's officially the Simon Cock counter. I know I shouldn't have called it that, but when it came into my head, I was like, well, I can't call it anything else. It's the SCC. Mark it with a one. There are so many penis shots on this show, we have to document them. The ending was really dumb too. Bubba just gets Jimmy Hart, who's his manager, to go up the pole and get the change. During that, John gives Big Bubba a power slam. When he comes back down, just goes, Jimmy Hart, give me the coins. Jimmy's like, okay, man, please don't hurt me. And then he twonks Big Boss Man, Bubba Johnson, whatever you want to call him, on the head, and he just wins. And throughout the whole thing, I think one fan made some noise, and everyone was like, should we go get some popcorn? I do want to make it clear that I think these two guys were great workers. This is just not an example of that. What was far better was the following promo between Lex Luger, Sting, and the Macho Man Randy Savage. I'm just going to give it to you. Macho Man starts, and when asked, hey, Macho, who do you think the third man is? Randy Savage just goes, well, I don't care. Brilliant. Brilliant, Macho Man Randy Savage. This is the whole spin and the whole advertising of the pay-per-view. He also then clarifies that he does know it will be somebody. Brilliant, brilliant. Macho Man Randy Savage should be put on some kind of police force. They go, Macho, did you find out who killed that guy? Well, all my researchers told me it must be somebody. The man is a king. Luger then tells us he's prepared and follows it up by saying that his opponents have made, and I quote, a Laura Noise. So he says, Laura, like it's some kind of children's book, The Adventures of Laura Noise. Sting then follows it up by saying, all of this madness has given him a dry mouth. You probably need to go and see a doctor. DDP was then here, and he was being DDP before DDP was DDP. Make sense? No, but down. What I mean by that, though, is it was from this point on where Diamond Dallas Page would finally start to become a big thing in WCW, but he was still discovering himself here, and he wasn't quite sure what character he wanted to resonate to the audience. He's also taken on Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who is kind of just a little bit past his prime. And that's why it's not the greatest thing you've ever seen. It's also a taped fist match because WCW were just the steps with stipulations. It doesn't really tie into the thing at all. And also at one point, they literally copy and paste what had happened in the previous match. And I was like, 
Did no one read the running sheet? Was the guy who was writing this fell asleep and then Eric Bischoff walked into it, oh, and he accidentally copy and pasted? I couldn't believe it. Because was there some tape to wrap somebody around the post? Yes. Then did they use some scissors? Yes. And once again, was there a stipulation? They didn't really tie into anything. The answer is yes. DDP won with a diamond cutter, and even at this point, it's getting over because it looks so cool. And it's only then when Hacksaw Jim Duggan tapes his fist and he punched DDP in the face. This was so baffling, and it could have been taken off the show, and it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference. And of course, there was a low blow when Hacksaw Jim Duggan had deliberately crotched DDP on the ropes. So bring down Simon's cock counter, make it. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. We're then back to Mean Gene, and I was in tears because he invites Jimmy Hart into the frame, but he says, Jimmy Hart, get in here, you little twerp. Oh my God. How unprofessional is Mean Gene Oakland? He's also here with the giant, aka the big show, Roll it. Hello, it's the younger version of Simon Miller here, thankfully wearing the same clothes as I am going to be wearing in the future. And also my eyes have regenerated since then, because here I have to wear glasses. But welcome to another episode of They've Looked Like They're Just Born, featuring this week, Paul White, aka The Big Show, aka The Giant. Because as soon as you lay your eyes on him, my word, it's like it's his brother, 
or a brand new person. Look, none of us can fight Father Time. One day I'm gonna look back at myself and go, man, I missed my younger days. But it doesn't matter. You can't help it. Your brain just goes crazy. As always, it could have just popped out of his mother's womb. Kevin Sullivan is also on hand with the worst makeup you have ever seen. Like, you would have noticed it before just due to happenstance and watching old tapes. But it's like he looked in the mirror and went, I don't really like my eyebrows. But I'm not gonna bother to hide my real eyebrows. I'm just gonna draw two more on here. He looks like some kind of cartoon. The giant then screams and spits everywhere while doing it. And his go-home line is that he's going to turn the four horsemen into stew and eat them. And if you had told me at that point that he was gonna have a near 30-year career, I may have doubted it. We also get words from Chris Benoit and Arn Anderson in retaliation to this. And Arn Anderson is just the man. I also have no idea how old he is, because here he looks like your dad, and in 2020 he looks like your dad, but he also looks like he's going to kick your ass, and he also talks like he's going to kick your ass. Arn Anderson is an underrated gem. Right, look, a lot of the wrestlers that had jumped from WWF to WCW at the time had just had their day. That's not their fault, it's going to happen to us all, but unfortunately, when I did see the Nasty Boys coming to the ring to take on Public Enemy, I got a little bit worried deep down here, and those worries were true. It's getting a down. And yeah, the Public Enemy were trying to make noises in WCW, but because they had just come in from ECW, where they thought they were hot shib, they basically wound up everybody in the back, and that's why they were treated like they did, because here, even though they needed the win, they lost. There's also another stipulation here because it's a double dog collar match. And don't try and tie this into kind of story or any kind of narrative. Somebody backstage just went, oh, we can make it a dog collar match. <laughs> it will be great. Although fair play to all four guys, they really do kick each other's ass. This is kind of brutal. The worst part is when Rocco is about to jump off some of the Bash of the Beach stage and Jerry Sags pulls the dog collar for real and he goes flying. Now Jerry Sags either did this by an accident, which makes him a moron, or he did it on purpose, which makes him an absolute dick. I could bring down the counter, but I won't. Throw in pile drivers on the floor and these industrial tables that will not break, even though they're jumping off the top rope, trying to make them smash into pieces. And no way anybody walked away from this feeling good. I don't know how they weren't injured. It's not even like watching a hardcore wrestling match. It's like watching an actual fight. By the eight minute mark though, it does turn into an absolute slop fest because everybody is so gassed. They start tripping over the chain at one point. And once again, I laughed, but it's just funny. When someone is so tired, they go, Hoop! and they collapse on the floor when they're not meant to. I can't help it. They honestly look like a granddad at Christmas who's trying to get to the bathroom. He's trying to walk over all the presents and he goes down and it just ends when the nasty boys take the chain and clothesline Rocco and get the one, two, three. Even Tony Schiavone says when it is over, well, that wasn't very good, was it? He couldn't keep it in. Public Enemy then beat the Nasty Boys up afterwards because this feud was going to continue. And then Bobby the Brain, he didn't get to on it and just goes, oh great, I guess we're going to have to see it again. I love that man so much. WCW Cruiserweight title was on the line next and this is how it's going to go. The champion at the time was Dean Malenko. He could have a good wrestling match with the broom, which makes no sense. Nobody's going to want to see that. If I told you I've got a great wrestling show and my main event's going to be Dean Malenko versus the broom, and then there's some kind of advert that goes, Dean Malenko versus the broom. After it didn't clean up the kitchen properly, you ain't going to come. However, you take what it means. He's taken on Disco Inferno, and he carried him to a pretty damn fine match. Up. Eventually, he taps out the Disco Inferno with a cloverleaf to retain his championship. And yeah, much like Arn Anderson, there is just one underrated dude as the Disco Inferno has come up again. Never forget that this is one of the worst gimmicks ever, one of the worst characters ever. It's never explained. He's just a guy that likes to dance and do disco, and I suppose is also into flames. For then reasons I will never understand, WCW decides to send Joe Gomez 
and Stephen Mongo McMichael to the ring to have a match even though neither of them have the experience to try and get through a match. So both guys were basically brand new and as for McMichael, he had been a football star and had only really made his in-ring debut a month before. And yet once again, World Champions Wrestling went, well, I'm sure they can figure it out. No, they did not. This is one of the scariest things you will ever see. They have no clue what they're doing. Down. It is short, it probably only goes about five minutes, but the most intriguing, interesting part of it is Deborah McMichael, and we all know what's going to happen with her. But honestly, if you had just started watching wrestling at this point and you saw this, you would have been like, oh, no, I think something is on the up and up with this wrestling lark, because it's just devastation personified. And also, somebody agreed that McMichael could finish it with a tombstone pile driver. And don't even for one second think he tries to protect poor Joe Gomez's head, he slams it right into the match. And finally, the ref goes one to three. I was like, oh, thank goodness. I don't know how we got out the other side. I don't know how nobody was hurt. I don't know how nobody was hurt. This should be taken and just thrown into the ether. It should be trapped in the Phantom Zone. Mean Gene was then luring over woman, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, Nancy Sullivan, whatever the hell you want to call her. I mean, it really didn't make him look very good. I mean, it was like taking your girlfriend home for the holidays and Uncle Benji is here and he's doing all his Uncle Benji things. You're like, Uncle Benji, that is not cool. Miss Elizabeth is here as well because we are doing a promo with Ric Flair. And look, even at this point in 1996, Ric Flair was just the man. You put a microphone in his hand and magic came out. Seeing Flair look this young will, of course, scare the shit out of you for all the reasons we've already touched upon. And before it's over, Mean Gene is then inviting himself to a party that Miss Elizabeth has mentioned. Once again, Mean Gene is a little bit of a legend. Then Ric Flair was here in the ring. I'm biased up. Because this is not the best Ric Flair match you're ever going to see, but it is every Ric Flair match you will ever see. And that formula just worked time and time again. If he could still go in 2020, he would figure out a way to make it apparent to a new audience too. He just knew what he was doing. Hence why he's the best wrestler ever. Conan more than holds his own too, but unfortunately his penis didn't. Because at one point a woman just gets in there and ensure his testicles go flying into the top rope. But then she takes her fist, whammo, and hits him right in the ball. So bring it down, the SCC. That's two extra ones, and we're up to four. That second one too, sheesh, there's no way that didn't leave a mark. And the only thing that sucks about all of this is the finish. Because then woman is back on the apron, and she hits Conan with her shoe, but she doesn't. She basically taps him on the head, but because it's got a heel, he falls down like he's been shot. And the poor commentators have to sell this like it was devastating. It was not. But man, Ric Flair, he makes it work. Because not only does he make the cover, he puts his feet on the ropes because he's the dirtiest player in the game. It also meant he was now a six-time US champion. And I think the last time he'd held this belt before this was like eight years prior or something. And yeah, all of that ending looked terrible. And the match itself was great. And it's not true, it wasn't great. It was just an okay watch. Back to Mean Gene then, and not only is he a criminal, but he's also a creep, because he's got his ear to the outsider's dressing room, and he's trying to hear if he can figure out who the third man is. What doesn't Mean Gene do? This does it like it's normal and it's fine, and Oakland also must have terrible hearing, because when he's asked, well, who was the voice? Who could you make out? He said, well, I could only hear a little bit of mumbling, but it was certainly the kind of mumbling that I recognized. That is the biggest amount of gibberish I've ever heard in my life. And it was then back to the ring. I don't mean to be Mr. Negative, but it was the giant and Kevin Sullivan taking on Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit, the four horsemen. Just doesn't really click down. McMichael comes back out because he was part of that group as well. And he just hits the giant with a briefcase. So the giant goes running after him. And don't forget, at this point, the giant was the world heavyweight champion. So he looked like a numpty. But then straight away, it means it's just a two-on-one contest back in the ring. As WCW tried to portray Kevin Sullivan 
as the good guy. But he was taking on the four horsemen, the coolest group in the world. And again, those eyebrows, no one cheering for him. It also backfired as he went for this monkey flip, which he completely screws up. And before long, Benoit and Sullivan are fighting to the back. So the giant just returns, gives Arn Addison a choke slam. One, two, three. That is that. Chris and Kevin kept brawling, including Benoit, trying to chuck him off the back of the beat sets. And that's when it got really uncomfortable because Nancy Sullivan, Nancy Benoit, aka woman, comes out here to try and stop it. And you already know the story. I don't want to talk about it, but it made me very sad. As a quick side note, however, though, the commentators sell this like it's the worst thing ever, but never actually explain the dichotomy of this relationship. Never forget that WCW, from 1996 all the way till it died in 2001, actually never, ever made sense. Which brings us to our main event, which even on paper is actually money. Because you've got Sting, you've got Lex Luger, you've got the Macho Man, Randy Savage, you've got Kevin Ash, you've got Scott Hall, and you've got a mystery guy that had been advertised as the biggest thing ever. It starts off a little bit weird because Luger gets taken out of the whole thing after a Stinger splash goes wrong. And even then you're like, well, that wouldn't knock him out. He barely touched his head, but whatever, he gets stretched out of there. But the point was to make you think, well, maybe Lex Luger is the third man. He's going to come back out. Or worse still, maybe it's Sting. And that is what this is all about, because it doesn't matter about the match. It doesn't matter about the winners or the losers. Hence why this ends in a no contest. All anybody wanted to know was who the hell was the third man. And the fact that he hadn't come out during the entrances, it made people start to wonder... Have we been screwed? However, before we do get there, though, bring it down, the SCC, because at one point, Kevin Nash just punches the macho man Randy Savage right in the balls. So that's five. Five penis shots on one pay-per-view. You never need that many. At this stage, it was ridiculous. You can forget about, though, because it does lead to one of the best finishes ever. With Sting in trouble and with the macho man even more trouble, Hulk Hogan comes down to save the day. And even at this point, no one actually thought it would be Hulk Hogan. He was your forever good guy. And that's where Bobby the Brain Heenan drops one of the best commentary lives of all time when he shouts out, well, whose side is he on? All of a sudden, the seed of doubt had been planted. But even Dusty Rhodes and Tony Schiavone are like, are you mad brain? Hogan would never turn his back on us. And then he does. Because honestly, as soon as he drops that leg onto Macho Man Randy Savage, the atmosphere of this just changes around and the fans can't believe it. Hence, when they do start throwing litter into the ring, they didn't want to see it, even though it had been them that caused it because they'd been booing the Hulkster for the last year or so. Now, Hulk Hogan kind of ruins this first promo when he calls the NWO, at least twice, the New World Organization. But nobody remembered that afterwards because it was brand new. I mean, it does kind of sound like a company that would take care of your bills, but let's not worry about it. And the fact out here is so insane. I'd forgotten about this. A fan even tries to get in the ring and he gets knocked out with one punch courtesy of Kevin Nash and then Scott Hall puts the boot to him. I mean, that was like some kind of mouse that saw the cheese. As soon as Scott Hall thought, I can beat up a fan, he went after him. Now, I'd never condone that. You should never jump the rail. But in terms of adding to this, it absolutely does. Because now the NWO had promised to kill WCW. And somewhat ironically, that is what they did. But for the next 12 months, maybe 18 months or so, it was just some of the best stories you'd seen in wrestling in ages. Hulk Hogan had gone heel. It did feel like the WWF was attacking WCW and that played into our fantasy booking dreams. And that's why, even though the match itself is irrelevant, in terms of the angle and the story and everything else, it doesn't just get an up, it gets a golden up. Because it is one of the best, if not the best, heel turns ever. Although I will say, you can kind of skip all of it and just watch the ending. Oh no, you should watch the opener too. But everything else is just completely irrelevant. I mean, without it, good grief. I would have punched myself in the balls, 
but we had seen enough of that. And we'll finish with today's Metzer Wrestling Observer Star ratings because it just gets everybody talking. Rey Mysterio versus Psychostic got four stars and three quarters. I agree with that. John Tender versus Big Bubba got one and a quarter star. Yeah, you can't argue with it. DDP versus Jim Duggan also got one and three quarters. You know, there really wasn't much there. The tag team match got one and a quarter stars. See what I mean about being irrelevant? Dean Malenko versus Disco Inferno got three and a quarter stars. There's Dean wrestling with the broom. Steve McMichael and Joe Gomez got minus half a star. I ain't saying I'm right. I'm just saying here's some evidence for you. Flair versus Conan got two and a half. I probably would have given it three. It was fine. That tag team match, Ken and Sullivan, the Giant versus the Four Horsemen got two stars. And the main event got three stars, but it had nothing to do with that. Once again, it was about where we were about to go. There you go. That's it. Overall, it does get an up, even though 95% of the card doesn't deserve it. But you can't crap all over the Hulk Hogan heel turn. It did change everything. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.